Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. For this episode, I'd like to include a few myths that we didn't originally include when recording the episode. So first of all, there's a lot of misconceptions around who can get endometriosis. We want to clarify that there is no age too old or too young. Teens, premenarchal, and postmenopausal people can all have endometriosis. Endometriosis has been found in fetuses as well as people in their 80s. Endometriosis is not a, quote, white woman's disease, end quote. Endometriosis has historically been underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed as other conditions such as fibroids or pelvic inflammatory disease in Black people and people of color. And unfortunately, there are still outdated websites that continue to promote the misinformation that being white is a risk factor for endometriosis. And this can delay diagnosis in people who are not white. If you see this on a website somewhere, please speak up if you have the bandwidth to help get that misinformation taken down. And additionally, endometriosis isn't even a woman's disease. While many of us are familiar with the startling statistic that endometriosis affects 1 in 10 people assigned female at birth, it's important to know that endometriosis affects people of all genders and sexes, including cis women, non-binary people, trans people, gender non-conforming people, intersex people, and even cis men. This is why it's really important to be inclusive in the language that we use to talk about endometriosis. And since we're talking about who can get endometriosis, a fun fact here, did you know that endometriosis has been found in some animals? even in animals that don't menstruate, which is just another fact of many disputing retrograde menstruation and Samson's theory as the origin of endometriosis. So the last thing that I want to talk about before the episode starts is an update on the diagnosis of endometriosis. In this episode, we talk about how ultrasound cannot diagnose endometriosis and how laparoscopy with a pathology report is the gold standard to receive a diagnosis of endometriosis. However, we wanted to update that in February 2022, the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology, 
they released their updated endometriosis guidelines, which now state that, quote, laparoscopy is no longer the diagnostic gold standard and is now only recommended in patients with negative imaging results and or where empirical treatment was unsuccessful or inappropriate, end quote. I left in the conversation that we have in this episode about ultrasound and laparoscopy because it's a good conversation, and the fact still remains that laparoscopy with a pathology report is the only way to have a confirmed diagnosis of endometriosis. Since the guidelines were released in 2022, it's important to point out that some prominent excision surgeons have criticized these new guidelines because they reflect a growing movement towards a clinical or assumed diagnosis and then subsequent medical suppression, so hormonal suppression, of unconfirmed endometriosis. Laparoscopy with a pathology report remains the only way to have a confirmed diagnosis of endometriosis, and the gold standard treatment of endometriosis continues to be excision surgery. Now, not everyone is going to want to have surgery. And I understand that and I respect that. But I definitely agree with the experts in the field that a push away from diagnostic laparoscopy isn't the right direction for endometriosis because behind it, there's also this movement to push away from surgery in general and surgical treatment of endometriosis. What the European guidelines should say is that general OBGYNs should immediately refer patients to an actual endometriosis expert so that when endometriosis is suspected, they can diagnose and treat endometriosis with the patient instead of these guidelines encouraging non-experts in endometriosis to, quote, diagnose and, quote, treat the disease via imaging and hormonal suppression. Not all types of endometriosis can be seen on imaging. Typically, superficial endometriosis cannot be seen on imaging, but endometriomas or deep infiltrating endometriosis may be seen. However, how the scans are done, the machine used, and the expertise of who is reading the imaging is extremely important. And this is why it's so vital to have imaging done by an expert. Also, a negative scan doesn't necessarily mean that the patient doesn't have endometriosis. Scans cannot rule out endometriosis. And the European guidelines acknowledge this in the first half of their statement. And they're saying that they still recommend diagnostic laparoscopy in patients with negative imaging results. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to talk about endometriosis facts, myths, and legends. Maybe that's a little too dramatic. (laughs) Maybe misconceptions. And once upon a time, there was a princess named Endometriosis. What a name. (laughs) She was Latin, Brittany. Oh, excuse me. I didn't realize she was an ancient princess. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a legend. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ancient. Makes sense. Okay. So, (laughs) once upon a time, there was a princess named Endometriosis. People didn't really know much about her. And as the years went on, Brittany's like, where are you taking this? I'm like, I'm I'm ready for story time. I'm so pumped. (laughs) And as the years went on, all the facts about endometriosis became 
a little bit muddled. And suddenly people didn't know what was fact and what was fiction and what was true and what was false. I'm so invested. (laughs) So today we're going to conquer those myths. We're going to learn the truth about Princess Endometriosis. (laughs) I can't even imagine. What happens to her? Does the dragon get her? Is she free? (laughs) Now imagining this, like, um, you know, Mario Kart, like the video game. I don't know. It's a little, like, princess. Like, what was it? Like Princess Peach. Peach? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like Princess Endometriosis. Just just imagining her, like, slaying the dragon via excision. There's, like, a lot of things going on. (laughs) Yeah, she has, like, a kind of, like, lightsaber thing. A scalpel, (laughs) a laparoscopic robot for her sidekick. That's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah, so today we wanted to talk about some facts and myths and misconceptions about endometriosis because, let's face it, there's so many websites and sources that we go where we think we're getting credible information, but the information that we're getting is outdated or incorrect. And so Brittany and I have looked up a couple of trustworthy sources and gathered information about endometriosis that we want to share here today. So, Brittany, what are our sources for this information? Our lovely sources today. I feel like a game show host. Oh. <laughs> our lovely sources are, the first one, endopedia.info, centerforendo.com, and, of course, Nancy's Neck. And, of course, we did our research through these three resources, but Amy and I are humans. Surprise that we're not aliens. Well, I'm not a human. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of humans, mostly humans. And so we, you know, could make mistakes. So if you hear something you're not quite sure is accurate or what you've read, or maybe there's some new information out there. Something's updated. Yeah, definitely let us know. Breaking news. Ooh, breaking news. Oh, my. Yeah, so definitely let us know because we, of course, want to stay abreast of all of the new information. But at the time of this recording, you never know what can change after. So please update us if you hear something new and exciting. So we have gone ahead and we've listed all of the sources, research studies, and articles that we use in the making of this episode and all of our episodes. It is now on our website in 16years.com, and there is a resources tab. There's also resources to learn about gut health, mindfulness, meditation, histamine intolerance, and even a list of books that have influenced me over the years so that you can go ahead and empower yourself and do your own self-research. So definitely check out those resources. Myth number one. Ooh. Endometriosis is a condition where uterine lining grows outside of the uterus. Oh, yeah, I can see why that's a myth, because endometriosis is not a condition. It's a princess. Um, That's not. (laughs) Oh, no, that's the legend. That's the legend. That part's absolutely true. So I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Endo fact. Endometriosis is not the uterine lining. It's tissue. It's a wannabe tissue, basically. It's a fake. It wants to be cool, (laughs) but it's it's not. It's a wannabe uterine lining. It's tissue that resembles the uterine lining, but is not identical to the uterine lining that grows in mostly the abdomen. And sometimes it can grow in other spots like your lungs or. In rare cases, oh my, the brain, oh but my. very rare. So I don't want anyone to think, oh my God, I have endometriosis in my brain. Probably not. Probably not. It mostly grows in the abdomen. That's a great lead-in to another myth, which is that extra pelvic endometriosis is rare. But actually, it's not. 
okay, something like brain endometriosis or endometriosis on the fingertip or endometriosis on the eyelid, now that's rare. Okay, but endometriosis on the lungs, on the diaphragm, on the bladder, on the bowels, well, that's not rare. It's estimated that one in five people with endometriosis have extra pelvic endometriosis. And to be honest, it's probably much higher because we don't have a classification system that encompasses all aspects of the disease. And also, as we very well know, many endometriosis patients are brushed off and get their symptoms dismissed, or their symptoms are misdiagnosed for something else, especially in the case of extrapelvic endometriosis. It's vital that all of the medical community learns that extrapelvic endometriosis is not rare. And this way, any specialist can recognize any of the symptoms of endometriosis, anything from digestive symptoms to urinary symptoms to thoracic symptoms like pain with breathing or shoulder pain or lung collapses. Myth number two. Symptoms of endometriosis don't include diarrhea or bladder dysfunction or intense pain. Oh, it doesn't, Brittany? Well, what's the fact? The fact is that endometriosis messes with your whole body. Everything. (laughs) From your head down to your pinky toe. We would know. Amy's ankle always hurts and my wrist always hurts. (laughs) Endometriosis makes your fingernails fall out. No, 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 no. It doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. It can make them hurt, though. Like, I could see that. (laughs) Endometriosis makes you (laughs) cross-eyed. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. She's Now we're just passing more myths. That's when the endometriosis is in your eyeball. Oh, my. (laughs) This has gone gruesome. No, no, no. Just kidding. Okay. So, yes. Symptoms of endometriosis can include diarrhea, bladder problems, severe pain, quote-unquote regular pain, chronic pain, pain during sex, pain during bowel movements. Yay. Pain during breathing, pain during living. (laughs) Lowering your quality of life severely. Oh, let's not forget brain fog, infertility. And the most annoying, chronic fatigue. Ah, yes. Good old memories of chronic fatigue during college. Thank you, endo. This is one of the huge complaints of endo sufferers. And, Brittany, let's not forget the inflammation that make your whole body hurt. Oh, such joy. Ooh. So in college, as I mentioned really great years for me. The funnest years of my life. <laughs> the best four years of your life. Lies. <laughs> Not. Okay. So in college, I was misdiagnosed with arthritis because of the full body pain. And then a few years later, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which I am almost 100% sure is related to my endo. Because when I have an endo flare, I have a fibro flare, like every time. And then after excision surgery. Yay. My, Hallelujah. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> my fibromyalgia like almost went away completely. Oh, and gosh, there's just so many. I just like this whole podcast is uh, 55 minutes long about the symptoms of endometriosis. <laughs> we'll never be done. <laughs> but what else? Endo has caused me two cancer scares now. Yay. I love being scared. The best thing ever to be scared of. <laughs> cancer. Twice. Twice. Oh, twice, Randy. What a twice. gift, Red Dragon. What a gift. The first time my CA-125 levels came back sky high. And then the second time my chrominium, ah, 
my CGA levels came back really high, and I'm still investigating that. So may or may not be a carcinoid tumor, but probably not. I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably endo. So basically, endo can screw with your whole body. I think that's what we're learning here. And it's just a barrel of funny. Just like <laughs> stick your arm in. And you're like, I wonder what prize I'm going to pull out. Oh I mean, they're not like good prizes. They're like booby prizes, but like not the good kind. <laughs> like one's a mousetrap. I was going to say, you stick your finger <laughs> yeah. in there on mousetrap. There's a mousetrap. There's a snake. There's a syringe. Like they're not great prizes, oh but like you have to keep sticking your arm in there. Like I don't know why, but you just do. <laughs> what you get at the carnival today? I got a broken finger. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it was better than a broken hand. I got poisoned by a snake. <laughs> it never ends. Endometriosis really wreaks havoc on your body because you have those growths that are leading to inflammation and it can it can really affect you and really on a full body level. So a lot of people think that endometriosis is just bad periods. But for a lot of us endo warriors, we have symptoms of endometriosis every single day, regardless of when we have our period or not. Our symptoms I know my symptoms drastically worsen during my period because the tissue is inflaming. It's it's like it's angry. It's in there. It's more inflamed than usual. So my symptoms worsen, but I and many people have symptoms all month long. Legend says there's no easy way to explain endometriosis to a stranger or to a loved one or to literally anyone who has no concept as to what it is. Is that true? Is that true, Brittany? Well, let me tell you. That's why I asked. The user-friendly definition that I have come up with is I have to talk about endometriosis a lot because it affects every Everything. aspect of my life. And people are like, why can't you walk to the copy machine? I'm like, because I have a princess named endometriosis living in my abdomen. The <laughs> whole human inside of you. I mean, the dragon sounds a lot more violent. I think I'm going to go with that. So let's face it, Brittany, when you say endometriosis is tissue that is similar to the endometrial lining. Oh, sorry. My eyes glazed over. What? Oh, mine too. I, where am I? <laughs> Did I say lining already? Yeah. Did I say tissue? Yeah. Ew. I gross. What I, I don't said. want to hear about this. Goodbye. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Like You having a chronic illness as a woman makes me uncomfortable because I don't understand the capacity of that. I, I don't understand any of that. Ew. There's tissue growing in the wrong spot. What don't you get about that? But you said like endometrial, which is like your vagina. And that grosses me out. If it was just like, you know, like arm tissue, that'd be normal. But oh, yeah, okay. I'm grossed out because of the stigma of female reproduction organs. Oh, so. OK. Well, what if I said spider webs? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, what if I said, intense. yep. Mm -hmm. What if I said that there are a bunch of spider webs growing in my abdomen and the more they grow, the thicker they get, causing my organs to stick together oh until God. finally, if you have a really advanced case, then it all sticks together. And all the organs that were supposed to be freely moving around in there, you know, well, not floating because they're not hanging. Like, they're <laughs> hanging but, out. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they're just like they're not all touching each other because they're separate organs, but they all become one because the spider ribs stick them together because it's like you poured cement inside of your abdomen. Your abdomen becomes frozen. I mean, one, I'm not grossed out because it's not about like because it's lady about bits, spider webs. But two, it sounds pretty like intense. Does that sound? I love so, that. That's what I it say. sounds really awesome. I, that's what I say all the time. 
like when I had to tell my supervisor, she's like, what's endometriosis? I was like, it's a bunch of spider webs growing in my Angry abdomen. Angry, mean spider webs. <laughs> and then what they do is they cause my organs to stick together and it's become so advanced that it's like you poured cement in there and they're all sticking together. So as wow, you can imagine. Wow, you can take the entire rest of the year off. You can thank for you. free. Bye. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so as you can imagine, that causes quite a, quite a bit of, just a little tiny bit of, just a little uncomfortable t- sometimes. Small, just tad, just small tad. Of pain. Just a little bit. Tiny tad. A little bit. Yeah, tiny. A little bit of excruciating bending over, doubled over pain. <laughs> just tiny. Just tiny. <laughs> when I tie my shoe, I throw up from having to bend my ass. Just sometimes. <laughs> Only when the shoelace is just like too short. Yeah, just you know? a little bit of time. Just sometimes. Like, why are her shoelaces just once a month. so long? It's only once a month. <laughs> only once a month for seven days. It's not that big of a deal. It's yeah. not like a quarter of the month. It's not like a quarter of the year. It's fine. No biggie. No, that is a quarter of the month. I know. It was a joke. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it was sarcasm. Endometriosis legend. When you have endo, you're not funny anymore. <laughs> Myth. Duh, you must have humor in order to survive. <laughs> Myth number three. Everyone's endometriosis is the same. Well, Brittany, that's a myth. Because everyone's endometriosis is different. First of all, there's different stages of endo. There's four stages, which is from minimal to severe. And then second, the really cool or interesting thing is that your level of pain and your level of symptoms does not correlate with the stage that you have, which seems counterintuitive because you would think if you had stage one, you might have really minimal pain. And if you had stage four, you'd have a ton of pain. But that doesn't always correlate because you can have minimal endometriosis growth, like a stage one, but depending on where the growths are, it can cause an excruciating amount of pain. If it's growing on a nerve or a tissue that's irritating a nearby nerve, there's no correlation, which could be a good or a bad thing, between your level of pain and symptoms and your actual stage of endometriosis. So for anyone listening who is saying, oh, well, I only have stage one. And so I, like anyone who's minimizing their princess endometriosis, but anyone who is listening, sometimes I see minimize. I'm like, well, I only have stage one. You still got endometriosis and that can still hurt and that can still cause you a ton of pain or a ton of diarrhea. I mean, I know in my own case, the first time I had a exploratory, <laughs> exploratory. You just combine those words. <laughs> I don't know what I laparoscopy and exploratory. <laughs> I don't know what I had. A torpedo went off. Exploratory. Exploratory. So the first time I had my exploratory, laparoscopy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they did not find endo, and so I imagine I probably had stage one. I talked about this with my surgeon who recently did my surgery, and we were speculating. Well, maybe it's because I had like a stage one or stage two. I was around, I think, eighteen years old. And I'm telling you, my symptoms were excruciating ever since I got sick. And so that's the case for a lot of us, that it doesn't matter that we have stage one or stage four, stage a billion. That's not a stage, but I feel like it should be. But it doesn't matter what our stage is. So don't minimize. If you're in pain, if you're suffering, then you're in pain and you're suffering. And there's even a type of endometriosis called silent endometriosis. Ooh, how graceful and generous of it. Yeah, that's when the princess endometriosis has her mouth taped shut so she's not able to talk. <laughs> this one really she has, creepy. <laughs> she has what she's like tied up with a gag in her mouth. She's like, mm, mm. <laughs> you're like, stay silent, princess. Silent, princess. Stay now. silent. 
No, but silent endometriosis is, I guess, a term used for when endometriosis doesn't cause any symptoms. And that still doesn't mean that you have endometriosis any less because you, endometriosis, when you have these growths that's similar to the endometrial tissue, whether or not they're causing symptoms, it's still endometriosis. I would love for my endo to be a little more silent. A little more quiet. screaming at all hours. It's like, you're in a public bathroom? Hello, I'm here too! (laughs) Okay, gonna rip out of your... You know what now? <laughs> you're like, people are just be quiet. The bathroom are like, are you okay, honey? I'm like, everything. She's not silent. Everything's fine. So be silent, silent. <laughs> Everything's fine. I no, no, no. Oh, no, no. I'm just having a regular. Okay, okay. My pee came out. I'm all done. That's it. It's fine. Everything's just had fine. Two drops of pee. We're good. <laughs> okay, I just had a little bladder spasm there, but everything's just fine now. She's totally, gonna settle down. She's totally gonna go back cool. to the throne room. Calm down. <laughs> totally cool. Get back in our with Luigi, you know, little temper tantrum. Go back to the castle. Well, silent endometriosis does mean you have endometriosis, of course, but it's it's also kind of tough because when you open up to somebody about endometriosis and the person's like, "Oh yeah, my husband's cousin's sister's boyfriend's hairdresser has it, and she doesn't have like any problems at all." Oh my god, my husband's cousin's boyfriend's sister's hairdresser's grandma has it. Wow, do you think they know each other? Probably. That makes it tricky because everyone's symptoms are different. So having kind of a rebuttal to that statement can be really helpful in explaining and everybody experiences pain on a different level depending on, you know, what's going on inside. So it's great that they don't have any symptoms, but I do. And it can be hard to say that, but I like to relate it to cancer. Everyone understands that. Hear me out, because the reason why is that it can be hard for people who don't have a chronic illness or her not in this community to understand the severe life impacts of having a chronic illness. And so what I often say as well, first I say, well, that's so great that your cousin's husband's sister's hairdresser's grandma doesn't experience any symptoms. And I just want you to know that, you know, have you ever heard when there's different stages of cancer and you can hear about someone who has a mole on their arm and it was cancerous and they had the cancer removed and they had cancer. And then there could be someone who gets extremely sick and has to have operations and chemotherapy and radiation. And so you can get sick to varying degrees when you're given a cancer diagnosis. And the same thing happens with endometriosis. Yeah, putting it in a way that people can relate is often very helpful to help them understand. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it, it, it is very relatable. So I'm not saying that having endometriosis is like having cancer. It's just putting something that people have, like endometriosis, many people have no idea about it and trying to put it in terms that people can understand that can, I mean, ultimately, if you're talking about, like, if I'm talking about my endo, I'm not like out there giving a lecture, right? I'm not like, well, this is what endometriosis. It's like just some having a conversation with regular people who either want to understand what I'm going through or who have questions about it or, you know, are making these comments like, well, why are you sick when my sister has it and she's not sick? And so, you know, or I'm like defending myself. So it's just trying to put things into terms that that people can ultimately understand and we can better communicate. And it's very hard. (laughs) I've spent so long trying to talk about my endo in so many different ways and the spider webs. And then the when I explain about the stages, like those are two is after I say that people are like, oh, wow, like, I get it. Like you've painted a really clear picture, like with the spider webs, like it really gives a visual for people to imagine just like 
And I'm like, oh, it's tissue all over my abdomen. They're like, oh, a Kleenex? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what's a tissue? Well, people want to understand, but we can only understand what we've experienced. So putting it in some terms of something that a person may have experienced just helps them to better understand. Well, this leads us to our next myth, which is endometriosis can't possibly be that painful. Hold on. I know I'm in the box with Brittany recording the podcast. I know Brittany is just reading the script. I know she just read the script. Why do I feel like I want to punch Brittany in the face because she said it's not as painful as I say? I know, Brittany. I know. You're just reading the question. You're just reading the question. Just telling you the myth. Other people believe that. Punch them, not me. I know, Brittany. I know. Just that question. I mean, that myth fills me with rage. I mean, understandably so. Why? Why does it fill my... Oh, I have the goosebumps from the rage. I have the <laughs> rage bumps. I have the rage bumps. Okay. <laughs> well, I think why? Why so much rage? Because endometriosis, as we said, can be so painful because first of all, and I mean, the okay, first of all, in some, the organs are sticking together from the adhesions or it can be irritating a nearby nerve. Or it's like you just you have all these growths in places that you shouldn't have. Like imagine you have a growth on your lung hurting you when you breathe or on your diaphragm. <sighs> Must still remain calm. So, so luckily for us, or unluckily, but we'll, right now we're luckily. Luckily for us, the NHS, which is the National Health Services in the UK, so it's basically like the public funded healthcare system of the UK, they have named endometriosis as one of the top 20 most painful conditions a person can suffer. Alongside of... Wonderful, exciting things like kidney stones, appendicitis, severe arthritis, and you know what else? People also compare experiencing endo just as bad or worse than giving birth. (gasps) What? Oh my gosh! One of the top 20 most painful things a person can endure. So next time someone says to you, or they doubt your pain, or they dismiss your pain, or they say, well, it can't be as painful as you say, guess what? It is as painful as we say. It's been validated by very reputable sources. And so there's no need trying to convince them. Just walk away. Just be like, okay, no problem. And just whatever, just that's my thing. I'm just like, okay, yeah. I don't need to force you to believe me. I believe me. And that's all that's important. Yeah, sure. It's not painful. I only passed the weekend throwing up and screaming on the toilet. It's only one of the top 20 most painful (laughs) things ever, but not that painful. Yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. No problem. Whatever. Is it going to be painful if I smash your face in? Oh, that's number 21. So not as painful. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's not on the list, is it? Okay. <laughs> it falls below the 20 mark. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> the next myth is that endometriosis can be diagnosed via ultrasound. Actually, there's only one way to diagnose endometriosis. You ready? Oh, what is it? So you have to, at 2.01 a.m., okay, make a circle of candles. Oh, my. What colors? Red and white, obviously. <laughs> Duh, hello, blood. You have to spin around three times saying uterus, uterus, uterus. Oh. And if Princess Uterus shows up, you have endometriosis. 
<laughs> that's the only way it works. See, that's the only way to diagnosis. If you see a shadow of a uterus or a dragon or Princess Endo or Princess anything in the mirror, you have it. Yeah. That's it, right? Okay, and actually, you don't need to have a uterus to have endometriosis. And endo is not a disease of the uterus, and a hysterectomy does not cure endometriosis. So maybe we should say big, bulky, inflamed blob three times in the mirror, and then a big princess, big, bulky, inflamed blob shows up. Blob, blob, blob. That's okay. how you diagnose. Well, I still haven't. I, you know that I'm. It's not sure if I have endo right now because you didn't do that. I didn't spin around the mirror three times. Oh, maybe I have that wrong. <laughs> that might be an. That might be an ancient legend, Brittany. Oh, that's a. That's the oh legend. Oh my god, I think that's where they diagnosed endometriosis in the 1800s. That's probably yeah. That oh makes yeah. Sense. Oh, the literature hasn't been updated since then. I was reading the old chapter. I'm sorry. Jeez, <laughs> Brittany. Okay, well, if you're in the 20th century. You know, without this magic stuff, then how how is endometriosis diagnosed? So the only way you can diagnose it is with surgery. Oh. So unfortunately, spinning around in a mirror three times is not going to diagnose you, nor will an ultrasound. The only way that you can be diagnosed is literally by opening you up. Seeing is believing, Brittany. <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> I mean, you're doc- I mean, they don't chop you in half. Like, no, no, no. Like, they open, <laughs> open you, you up. up. No, but sometimes no. people notice I when mean, you are having a C-section or a different surgery or a laparoscopy. Like, there's any kind of surgical way is is how you can. That's true. Get when the- I was getting my giant grapefruit-sized ovary removed, mm-hmm. that was supposed to be like, oh right yeah, there. look, there's like, endometriosis. Oh my god, yeah. we can see endometriosis everywhere. I think I know. <laughs> I think it's not cancer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, wow. So any any kind of surgery, you know, can catch that. But, I mean, of course, your doctor and you can suspect that you have endometriosis just based off of the symptoms or, you know, like an imaging test like the ultrasound. Well, they say surgery is the gold standard. So professional and stand. Ooh, (laughs) gold standard. (laughs) It's the gold standard because during the surgery, the surgeon will actually take biopsies of the tissue that they suspect is endometriosis. And then what they'll do is send it to pathology, who will then be able to confirm whether or not it's endometriosis. So it's a gold standard because it's the only way that you can have that real firm confirmation based off of the tissue that's taken during the laparoscopy. Ah, you know, I remember when I got back my pathology report and it just said on all these tissue samples, endometriosis, endometriosis, endometriosis. If you doubted it before, you can't now. I am validated. (laughs) Vindicated. So I wrote it down for this episode so we could talk about it a little bit. So this is all the places that they took a tissue sample from, okay? They took it from my peritoneum of the left pelvic sidewall, the peritoneum of the right pelvic sidewall, from my uterine nodule, my ovary, because I only have one now, so they only took it from the one ovary that I have. No, wait, they didn't take it from the other <laughs> That's why I didn't say my ovaries, because they probably would take it from both ovaries. You're one lonely ovary. But it just, just got one down there with its little violin. One is the loneliest number. <laughs> Poor little baby. So, yeah, right. He's in there like the king right I'm now. Like, He's I'm like... the top hormone-producing dog now. <laughs> the other ovary's not competing with me. It's just me. He's living the, like, like, yeah. the life right He's now. He's like, I got that other ovary kicked out of here. <laughs> 
I'm like, okay, calm down, dog. Calm down. <laughs> I don't need more of that. That's why I'm now having histamine reactions. He's too excited. He's too happy. Like, slow your estrogen production, please. <laughs> you know, chill <laughs> out, please. Just calm it down. Calm it down. <laughs> so, okay, they took it from the biopsy. The rectosigmoid junction, the uterosacral ligaments. And so, <laughs> yes. It's a lot of science. Okay, words. that was six places. Okay. And basically, they were just all fancy words for like parts of my abdomen. <laughs> and <laughs> this area, or just take some from there, from here, and from there. And all so right. the biopsy from all six of those tissues came back as confirmed endometriosis. Okay. So it said endometriosis. And then it had like a little explanation. And it said, these slides showed several endometrial glands with surrounding stroma set with fibrous tissue. There is associated hemorrhage, hemosiderin deposit, giant cell reaction, chronic inflammation, and fibrosis. Sounds horrible. <laughs> I looked all those words up. They're basically all big words for like, it's bad in there. <laughs> it was inflamed. and It looks horrible. Bloody and inflamed. <laughs> I love this one. Giant cell reaction. I know. It's my favorite one. <laughs> happened to There's me. like a one big old cell Did my cell cells there. like balloon up? <laughs> I don't like this. I'm going to be real big right now. <laughs> Okay, so that all came back as confirmed endometriosis in all those different places. So, like I said, like my uterine nodule, my ovary, my rectosigmoid junction, my sidewalls, all that. But then they took a biopsy of my uterine serosa adhesion. Wow. Wow, you're so fancy. Okay, work with, stick with us, people. This is, I'm also saying to myself, stick with me, stick with me. I'm trying to understand. But what I want to point out is that it did not come back as confirmed endometriosis. So it came back with the other things I said. So remember before I said like hemorrhage, fibrosis, chronic inflammation, hemocidrin deposit, giant cell reaction. It came back as having all of that. And then underneath it, it said, these findings may be related to healed endometriosis. But no endometrial glands are currently identifiable for a definitive diagnosis. So basically, they say they, they basically said the same thing, except the six tissues compared to the one uterine serosa adhesion, who was a unknown. But in the ones that were confirmed, they actually saw endometrial-like glands and stroma to identify them. Okay, so that was really interesting, but I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, overwhelmed. <laughs> My brain's a little tired right now. There's a lot of science words in there. We'll just but... stick with glands and stroma, and yes. that's how they identified. And the only that I had way endo. you can be sure is if those glands and stroma are found in a biopsy. Well, sometimes during surgery, if they cut you open, they don't biopsy. Those glands actually scream out, like they scream, like "Hello, I'm a stroma. We're here." <laughs> They draw you a little picture of like, help us, take us out, we don't belong here. <laughs> you have a laparoscopy, like open them up and you just see a whole bunch of cells like holding like little swords and like Ew. breathing fire. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm pretty sure you're definitely the endometriosis. <laughs> Didn't have to biopsy. I just know based on the yeah, fire breathing based on and the, swords. Uh, based on the violence in there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> based on the massacre going on inside of you, I'm pretty certain. And since they're giant cells, <laughs> they're bigger than they're what? Really microscopic. Big. Yeah. <laughs> they're really, really big. <laughs> so why do we hear all the time that some doctors say surgery isn't necessary or it's not required to receive a diagnosis or you can just take some medication in order to manage the symptoms because you probably have endometriosis, but we don't have to double check? Blasphemy, Brittany. Oh, I know. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question. <laughs> 
So we're actually going to go into this more on a whole episode that we're going to do about treatment for endometriosis, but there's no like there's no light decision to, oh, just take medicine and, and see how it fares, right? And we talked a little bit about this in episode three, which was how to have better medical care, but medicine has side effects and sometimes the side effects are permanent. And taking medicine and subjecting ourselves to the risk of it when, one, we don't even know, like in this case, right? Doctor's like, I suspect you have endo, like take this medicine to manage it. Okay, it's like, one, I don't even know that I have endo. Yeah, pelvic pain can have way more than just one reason. Exactly. And the second thing is medicines don't treat endometriosis. Okay, medicines don't shrink endo. They don't eliminate the endo in you. What they do is they treat the symptoms and then the medicines, they cause symptoms. Just a double whammy. They cause side effects and symptoms in you while treating the symptoms of your endo, but not actually treating your endo. So this is why surgery remains the gold standard for diagnosis. And ideally, in the same surgery, you'll be diagnosed and then you can get your endometriosis excised. So we recently heard, and you may have as well, about a supposed blood test that can detect endometriosis. So in early April 2019, this article came out and it said that there was a new blood test that could detect endo in 9 out of 10 cases. I mean, that sounds pretty impressive. Yeah. Wow. And what it does, it looks for endo biomarkers and they examine the mutations in the mitochondrial DNA. Which sounds very scientific. <laughs> have mutated <laughs> like, mitochondrial oh DNA. So exciting. And I mean, well, how are they mutated? So they, hold on, I'll just make a little joke here. <laughs> I was going to so say, are you going to talk about mutants? <laughs> yes. So, no, but they're mutated. And instead of having two arms where they hold the flaming swords, they have like 50 yes. arms where they hold all the flaming swords. And there are also many dragons that breathe fire. Like, Ooh, we tails. knew that part, right? The tails. <laughs> yes. Tails with knives. <laughs> okay, so this blood test can detect the dragons in your with blood. With tails, knife tails, and swords, yes. Um, and I mean, Where do I go get that test? Yeah, well, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think we got to slow down. We got to pump the brakes a little bit because within about like a day of all of that excitement and hype and oh my gosh, this is like a way better and easier way to diagnose. A lot of the endo experts worldwide made statements about this blood test, and they said, well, the sample size that was used in the study was way too small. There wasn't enough data. There wasn't enough wide range of sample, and it needed more validation. So it could potentially be something, but right now at this point, the test isn't out yet. It was uh, slated to be out within nine months of April. That's one thing, and I think really the big thing is that With this happening or when it does happen, we should really be looking critically to the experts in the field to understand the implications of this and if it really is effective and what the practical use will be for diagnosing endometriosis. I agree. We know that the news and the headlines is so sensational, right? And so there's all this hype and the headline comes out. It's like, oh, a a new blood test can detect endometriosis. And everyone's like, Wow, because it's That's incredible. It's, it, it is. It's it would be so incredible to be able to be diagnosed faster and then know if your pain really is from endometriosis and then be able to 
you know, not devise a treatment plan. Yeah, and not have to wait 7.5 years to be diagnosed. But I think, as Brittany said, if, if and when this test, a blood test comes out, you know, we should look to the leaders in the field about how this blood test should be used. Like some of the people that I follow, like I follow Center for Endo on Instagram. So I know they made a statement about the blood test. I'm in the group Nancy's Nook, the Facebook group. I know she talked a little bit about the blood test. So these are some of the leaders in the field. And I'm I'm sure there are others, but these are the ones that I closely follow. And, and so, they're following this closely. So we're getting accurate, up-to-date information. Exactly. So it's important that your info, if there's anything I learned from the whole reason for this podcast is because there's so much information on endometriosis just thrown around in the media, on websites, like up until recently on some of these kind of like prominent medical websites where you go and you're like, these are my symptoms and I want to learn about whatever, anything, endometriosis and breaking my arm and a bug bite. And a lot of these websites still say that endometriosis is your uterine lining growing in the wrong spot. It's like, it is not the uterine lining. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we have to be really careful where we get our information from because a lot of this information is not accurate at Even all. On, yeah, on places that most people consider to be reputable. So that's why we have to be very careful and look to the experts who we know are reputable that are experts in endometriosis and not just general health experts. The next myth is that endometriosis is always black and looks like powder burns. Well, one, that sounds painful. But two, big old myth, because endometriosis can be completely different colors from one person to the next. I was actually blown away when I learned that. Like totally different colors. That's why it's so hard for gynecologists who aren't endospecialists to identify endometriosis. So on endopedia.info, which we definitely recommend you go to, He has a chart that actually shows the colors of endometriosis and the age ranges, the average ages. And you can see that the predominant colors fell into a cluster. So they are red, black, and white. Not all black, not all look like powder, not all red, not all white, but they fall into this range. Oh, and some were clear. Clear? That doesn't mean invisible because they're still like... You can see the mound and the shape and the cells and stuff. But so, clear, can you imagine clear. how hard it would be to find if you were not an endo specialist? I mean, it makes sense why so many are told they don't have endo because <gasps> oh. when it's white or clear, how are you supposed to know that that's endo? Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Amy. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes, Amy. Oh. Go ahead. Oh. Oh. Okay, I'm a monkey. <laughs> no, and that is exactly what happened to me. And I asked my endo specialist about it that I have currently, and I said I had a laparoscopy when I was, I believe I was 18 or 19, I remember. but. I had an exploratory laparoscopy and I remember so clearly because I was really trying to search for answers and really sick and all the diarrhea and the pain and the variances and blah, blah, blah. And it was hell on earth. And then I woke up from the surgery and the doctor came in and she said, oh, we didn't see endometriosis and you have the shiniest ovaries I've ever seen. I was like, what? Okay. (laughs) But I didn't know at the time that doctors who are not trained to recognize endo and all its subtle forms and colors can miss endometriosis. And why did I mention the thing about the ovary? Because that's where so much of your endometriosis was. Ex-nay on the answer, nay. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone speak pig Latin anymore? I don't think so. I don't know. (laughs) But no, because 
Another myth is that endometriosis is only located on your ovaries. But endometriosis can be located on the intestines, on the bladder, in some cases on the diaphragm, on the lung. There has been this prevalent myth that endometriosis is really predominantly found on the ovaries. And so there are a lot of, again, untrained gynecologists in endometriosis that when they go and they open you up and they don't know how to recognize that you have endometriosis on your bowels or on your bladder or in other parts of the abdominal cavity. And she only checked your ovaries. I don't know. But all I know is that when I woke up, Again, I don't even remember how old I was. I was 18 or 19, but I remember crystal clear what she said to me because it was so painful because I was so sick. And then to be told, you have the shiniest pair of ovaries I've ever seen. It's like, it felt like a slap in the face. Like, not only are you not sick, your insides look perfect. Yeah, like, oh, you're so phenomenal looking inside. But now, and I don't know, I can't go back in time, but I'm like, okay, maybe at that point. Now I've seen my photos of my surgery and there were tons of black powder burn. There's also like a lot of red, a lot of clear because, you know, a lot of adhesions. Probably at the time, there were no black powder burns. There were no, it well, was actually, more in a subtle. And it's age that, that can change those. So when you're mm-hmm. younger, like in your late teens, early 20s, it's much more common to have the red or clear color than the black powder burn style. So when she was checking at that age, she wasn't going to see what she thought she was looking for. Exactly. And because every case is different, in your case, you probably hadn't developed that yet. So she missed it. I mean, fair enough. It's easy to miss clear when you don't know what you're looking for. (laughs) Well, that leads to our next myth, which is endometriosis can be treated by any gynecologist. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Brittany. I know. That's why I said it was a myth. Oh, okay. I, I missed a keyword there. I, I, <laughs> keyword myth. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Endo is a highly specialized disease within gynecology. And the majority of gynecologists are not trained in endometriosis. And especially are not trained in endoxygen surgery. So we're actually going to talk about how to find a good doctor in our upcoming episode on treatment. But since we just spoke about doctors here and the doctor that I had in the past, we just wanted to make clear that any old gynecologist is not equipped to deal with such a complex disease as endometriosis. So often we're like, oh, yeah, like I have pelvic pain. I better go to my gynecologist or I think I have endo. I better go to my gynecologist. But most gynecologists are not equipped to deal with endometriosis and they might think they are and they might say they are. but sadly. The doctors who have the skills to treat endometriosis are few and far between. And finding a good doctor is going to influence the kind of care that we get. So we're going to talk about this more in depth in just a couple of episodes, a whole episode we're going to do about treatment of endometriosis. So we've covered a lot of myths here, but we know there are so many more out there, especially around treatment options and, of course, the causes of endo. And we actually recorded all of them, and we realized the episode was super long, like three hours long. Yeah, we've been in this box for a really (laughs) long time. I mean, because there's so many. There's so many myths. There's so many misconceptions. There's so many legends. And we split it up into a couple episodes so that they were a little more digestible. One will be about the endometriosis causes and the other about the treatment options for endo in addition to this one. So. They'll be in a couple episodes from now. But we wanted to give you a little sneak peek and some of the more fun myths that we've encountered 
um, in a little rapid fire. So oh I'm going to say some myths okay. so that Amy can react to them. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to okay. listen carefully. I'm going to react. Yes. All okay. right. Whatever comes to mind. The first one. Endo was caused by using tampons, didn't you know? <laughs> Does anyone believe that? <laughs> I mean, I feel like there might be people who believe okay. that. No. No. No, that's not true? No. Okay. Um, endo was caused by an infection, just, just a regular infection. Absolutely not. And it's also not caused by an STD. Oh, no. Oh, God. Didn't even think of that. <laughs> no, no, no. No to everything. <laughs> um, how about this one? Okay. Endometriosis is caused by an unresolved emotional trauma. Nope. Research is pointing to it being caused by genetics and that it's from a defect in the formation of our malarian duct when we were embryos. Whew. <laughs> and we have an upcoming episode on the causes of endometriosis, so stay tuned for that. Pointing to a big fat no. Pointing to one. a no, 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 no. <laughs> Also, it's not caused by repressed emotions. Also, it's not caused by a higher power punishing you. What about your fear of becoming a parent or you rejecting your womb? Whatever that means. Going to have to definitely go with no. Going to veto one. that I'm one. Just, I'm just going to crush that one. If it was a bug, I'd be stepping on it with a high heel. Yes. And it would look attractive when I did it. Of course. It was like course. a red heel. I mean, but it could be that it's like your karma catching up to you. So mm. for stepping on all those bugs. Mm. Right. That's the thing, right? Still research is pointing towards genetics. So towards a big fat no yeah, on that I'm gonna one. Have to go ahead and just N-O-N-O. <laughs> I really enjoyed your reactions to these. <laughs> what else you got for me? What other good myths? Um. OK, here's a good one. Oh, my. Endo can be completely cured by a hysterectomy. Untrue. Really? Yes, very untrue. Doc- I know there are some doctors that think that endometriosis is cured by hysterectomy, but but they're not is... the most up to date or trained endometriosis. Exactly, <laughs> they are not experienced, and that is a hundred percent. It's a very common myth too, as well. We are going to talk about the place of hysterectomy in the episode that we do on treatment, so definitely tune in for that. We're going to give a lot more detail, but these are rapid fire. These are rapid fire so, common things that don't fire. apply. 100%. So the answer is no. The answer to all these is no. Well, you gave it away. I'm still oh. going to say them. Well, okay. they're all myths, Brittany. Of course okay. I'm no. Yeah, but I just want your reaction. All right, just say them. Okay. Okay, I got a good one. All right. If you get pregnant, then your endo will be cured. That was a long silence. How does that even make sense? <laughs> I can see the gears turning. I just, I'm brain. trying to figure out why. I'm trying to figure out why that would be. Growing something inside you will help the inflammation somehow. <laughs> I don't. Nope, Brittany. Nope. <laughs> okay. Ooh. There are these medicines called Lupron and Orlissa, mm-hmm. and if you take them, your endo goes away. I think we've previously established that no. <laughs> no. They do not. What do they treat? They treat symptoms. Oh, something else okay. that mm-hmm. treats endo. Ablation, right? Mm. Just burn it all off. Nope. No, Brittany. still no. I mean, Ugh, I'm batting zero. <laughs> Ablation doesn't get the root like the way excision does. So in high prevalence, it recurs and grows back. And so there are people who have to have surgery after surgery after surgery because it wasn't actually removing the endo completely. Exactly. And also you can't use ablation on endometriosis on more sensitive tissues, such as the intestines, because of the heat generated. And we're going to talk about in the episode treatment. So I'm going to go with no there. What about menopause? Does that cure endo? I wish. 
You know, for all of who have gone through or going through menopause, we so wish that I was true. I know, you're true. like, I'm so close. <laughs> I know, I so wish that was true <laughs> Please, for I'm... all of you. <laughs> I was excited. I'm like, oh, maybe in about 20 years my endo will go away. And I was like, ha! No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cured by menopause. I think they've, they've found an endo of like 73, 74 oh, years gosh. old. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. Nope. Oh, I have a myth about endometriosis, Brittany. The final myth. I'm ready for it. Okay. If you get diagnosed with endometriosis, you're doomed. I think that getting a diagnosis is shocking. Okay. Uh, I agree. Enraging. Ooh. Depressing. Like a slap in the face. Yeah, a very mean, horrible, awful slap punch in the face. By one of the Pac-Man ghosts. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> that went real meta. Does right anyone play Pac-Man Real anymore? deep. <laughs> I think most people will understand Pac-Man. That's a good reference. I mean, that's how I feel about it, but I don't feel that it's a doom sentence. Yeah, this is one. Well, I don't know if this is a myth or this is a belief or I don't know what this is, but this is just something I hear a lot. It's like, and I, and I get it because I think when we're diagnosed with a chronic disease, it's that sinking feeling in your heart like, oh, my gosh. This is it. This is all. This is everything. This is forever. But what I've also learned through my own experience and through following all these other amazing endo warriors on Instagram and on their blogs and online is we are not doomed. And that is so powerful. Like there is so much that we can do in our lifestyle, in our dietary choices, in our relationships. And I'm talking about like on a mind, body, spirit level to feel the best that we can feel even with endometriosis. And this is what this whole podcast, like this is the purpose of this whole podcast is to talk about all these different things that we can do to live our happiest, healthiest life. So yes, I think at the beginning, it takes time to figure out what works for you. And it takes time to get over the shock and the sadness of having endo. And there are days when I still feel shocked and sad about having endo. Like, I don't know if that's something that ever totally goes away, but things get better. I've seen it for myself. I've seen it in a lot of other endo warriors. And I hear these stories of people going from being bedridden from pain or from fatigue and then being able to work full time again. And in fact, I am one of those stories. And I don't think that I'm special. <gasps> I'm sorry, I what? No, delete that part. <laughs> I do think that it was special. No, I don't. She knows that she's special. No, but statistically, I mean, not I'm so special. special the way where my mom was like, "You're so special, honey." And You're so like, special, honey. Oh, is this trophy for me? <laughs> this participation. Oh trophy? my god! Just for just for being born, I get a trophy. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, your trophy was endo. Here you go. Have a nice life. <laughs> that's you were how they so special. That's how they know when the opioid breakage and surgery they cut you open and there's all these giant cells holding trophies. Like, we won. We, we won got participating <laughs> like it's a terrible prize we're sorry that you got that prize <laughs> we're sorry we all have trophies for participating in endometriosis <laughs> that's so sad we should make trophies and give them out that'd be congratulations so cool. you have endo <laughs> you'd be like what are those trophies for on your mantle like well this is for swimming in sixth grade and one first place and, and this is for endo <laughs> you're only the special people can have these trophies <laughs> only one in ten <laughs> I know that things can feel really, really hopeless at times. 
especially when we've had symptoms for years, decades perhaps, and they're not improving. Maybe they're even getting worse. And you can't access excision surgery or another treatment that you'd like. And this is devastating. No one should be in a situation like that. But the sad truth is that many of us are, or we have been in the past. And there's so much grief and despair and hopelessness around that. But I just really want to encourage you to stay open and to stay curious to the future. Things can change. Maybe we make little changes that have a positive impact on some of our symptoms. Or maybe we somehow get access to the gold standard treatment of excision. Or maybe nothing in our external situation changes, but we start to change. And the way that we feel about the situation changes. And we find more ways to cope, and therefore more acceptance and more peace, which opens the door to finding more meaning and joy in our lives. Having endo is a hard journey. And it's a lifelong journey. But I really do believe that we're not doomed, even though it feels like it at times. And we have a lot of episodes coming up on how to explore finding change within ourselves when the outside circumstances don't change. So I hope today that we've covered some of the more common myths that either have been said to you, you've read about, or have come across in your research. We know that having some of these statements said to you as if they're fact can be really hurtful. And I'm sure you've experienced occasions where you don't know how to react to something you know is pure myths. So we hope that maybe some of these answers will help give you some feedback to help other people understand your experience. And if you hear of any myths that are floating around the internet sphere or the book (laughs) sphere or any kind of sphere, the earth sphere, I mean, it's a sphere. So if you hear of any myths that you want us to cover, like definitely let us know because researching into these myths and why they exist and and where they come from is really interesting for us. So if you hear something you want debunked, I feel like Mythbusters, anything you want debunked, let us know. I want to know if throwing the toaster in the bathtub really electrocutes you. <laughs> we mean endometriosis-related oh. myths, Amy. <laughs> Jeez. Well, God, Brittany, leave me hanging there. And, and the I'll an- tell you the answer to that after the podcast. And the answer is no, right? <laughs> well, if there is fraying on the electrical cord, it very well can. Oh, wow. So, Gosh, Brittany is so informative. <laughs> that is why she's on here, apart from being funny. I read a lot. <laughs> and fantastic. She's just... How do you know all these things? I just spend a lot of time reading nonsense, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but if you have endometriosis-related myths you'd fine, like us to fine. debunk, yeah, please yeah. let Make us know. Yeah, make it related to endo, whatever. It's like, it's like a it's like our entire of our podcast. podcast. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for spending the time with us today. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Instagram as in 16 years of endo. So please look for us there and the website in 16 years. Thank you so much for listening today, and we can't wait to talk to you next time. 